Why are L2 tokens bullish? That is the topic today on Bankless Takes. Bankless Takes is an episode where David and I just speak our mind on whatever we want to talk about. And today, we decided to talk about- We want about, to talk about layer two tokens. Yeah. Pretty are usual. they bullish? Are they bearish? I mean, that was kind of a, a question. A few things we're going to take on. The question of, are L2 tokens worthless governance tokens? That is a narrative going around. Will they accrue any value or are they actually bullish? Brian, before we get into the conversation, uh, why? Why are we having this conversation? Where, well, where did this come from? Well, you were out mountain climbing, David. There was uh, some robust discussion in the Bankless Citizen Discord, as there always is, by the way. So if you are a Bankless it's been Citizen, crescendoing you should join. In a big way. Great discussions. Anyway, the question was posed exactly as I stated. Like, are L2 tokens going to go up? Are they bearish? Are they bullish? <laughs> are they just worthless governance tokens? How should we think about them? How do you guys think about them? And so this is essentially my answer to this. And I want to see how much you uh, agree with that answer. And uh, we may as well record it as an episode. Sound good? Uh, I think we should do it. And we'll All get right. right into that conversation. But before we do, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for getting off and on the layer twos that we're probably about to talk about here in this oh. episode today. Let's go hear from Kraken right now. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade, and as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us, hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind. Instant permissionless and 24 seven. It's not perfect and nothing ever will be perfect, but crypto is a world changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to kraken.com slash bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to US and US territory customers by Payward Ventures Inc. PVI doing business as Kraken. Are you launching a token? Is it already live? How are you managing the legal and tax for for providing token awards for your team. Toku simplifies everything about managing token grant compensation, and you can get started with them for free. You'll have access to top-notch legal and tax support to handle the distribution and management of tokens for your team. Toku caters to every step in the process, from user-friendly legal templates for granting tokens to tracking vesting periods and calculating withholding taxes. Toku understands every grant structure, token purchase agreements, restricted token awards, restricted token units, token options, and all the other ones. Toku is already simplifying this today for leading companies like Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Mina Foundation, and many more. You can learn more about how Toku can help you streamline your token management and get started for free. Visit Toku at toku.com slash bankless or click the link in the description below. All right, David, so the first place, and if we're going to talk about L2 tokens, we have to see if they're zombie chains or not. Like, is anyone actually mm. using these things? And mm. it's been a, a few days since I've looked at some of these metrics, uh, but in depth, probably uh, like a few weeks. And it's maybe maybe worth a review to look at some of the core metrics. So I've got a website right. pulled up. Yeah, let's set the table. It's uh, called growthepie.xyz. And uh, fun fact, David, you can get a lot of L2 metrics, layer 2 mm -hmm. metrics, on the internet these days. All right? There's a wow, series a, of- What a great place. I know. It's uh, a series of fantastic sites that put this out. The first is Grow the Pie. And let's take a look at daily active addresses. So you can think of a daily active address almost like a, a bank account. It's true that like yep. a user can have multiple uh, right. addresses. That is also true. So it's like a one-to-many relationship. Some users relationship. probably have like, I don't know, thousands. Probably. 
Um, but uh, this gives you a sense of uh, you know the number of addresses on the chain. ZK Sync Era is right now leading in daily active addresses. So these are kind of bank accounts, as it were, using the chain. Four hundred twenty-eight thousand daily. Arbitrum right behind that, one hundred eighty-five thousand. Linea. Uh, right behind that, 88K, OP Mainnet, 66, Base, 63, Scroll, 40, 44K, on down, Zora, Polygon are also in there, Immutable X, etc. Polygon POS is not in there because uh, not technically a layer it's two. A, a side chain, point. yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a side chain, but that is in the process of being converted to a layer two. I expect we see that sometime in 2024. Anyway, that gives you a sense of some of the activity and it's mm-hmm. um, it's kind of up only, David. If you look at sort of the maximum, look at this. Right. I mean, it's growing now. Yeah. We, we, I should probably say not all of this activity it corresponds to one like user. I think of some of these chains are like airdrop hunting, airdrop farming, yeah. as it were. The, and like, the chains that have not issued tokens have a probably a significant premium of activity from people who are just using the chain. Uh, to hunt the token. And you can probably see that both in the daily active addresses and also the transaction counts for some of these chains. And which ones would those be? Like ZK uh, Yeah, Sync. ZK Sync era is the big one. Linnea, also very big. Um, base, probably not being airdrop hunted because I don't think people probably. are really like thinking about a base token. Uh, and so there's opportunity cost to hunt the base token when you could be hunting like ZK Sync has been talking about their token for like 20, 2019 or something. Like they haven't been shy about that. Yeah. Uh, and so probably base is more or less ab- above 95% organic. So good numbers uh, on that and uh, certainly up only. On the transaction count, we're seeing kind of uh, up only numbers as well. So mm-hmm. you'll notice some massive spikes here too. Like see this arbitrum Those are going to be in, in scriptures, inscriptions, right? Inscriptions, oh, that was yeah. the That was the spike that took down the arbitrum chain. Exactly. This was, uh, but also was the number one largest daily (laughs) transaction volume of any layer two. Yeah. Um, so really stress tested arbitrage. So this is definitely a metric of for usage, but it can be gamed in like all various ways that we've sort of seen. One transaction is, does not equal one transaction. Not all transactions are the same, but still, I mean, you want to see an uptrend line over time. And you'll see yeah. spikes for volatility. It's also a good stress test of how many transactions these networks can actually uh, handle before falling over. So right. ZK Sync Era right now is the current lead with 1.3 million transactions on a daily basis. Arbitrum mm-hmm. is second with uh, 720,000 right now. Did you hear the report as to why Arbitrum um, toppled over when the inscription attack got it? Um, a little bit. Yeah, I don't recall the details. Though. I think it, it was something like super trivial. It was like an out of date Prism client, and <laughs> once they once they updated it, it was like, oh, it's done. <laughs> we fixed well, it. That's the problem. You just have one sequencer as well, right? Which right, multiple right. sequencers yeah. can Mo- start to yeah. fix liveness failures. Um, Op Mainnet is next. Uh, three hundred and sixty nine thousand, uh, and then Base and Immutable X is on there. Uh, Linnea is on there as well. Uh, congratulations to Arbitrum for passing 500 million transactions. I don't know if that makes them number one in total, like raw transaction count. It could be. Uh, they could be number one in that for layer uh, two. So that that's pretty cool for layer for layer twos. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's pretty I, cool. And Arbitrum cool. like probably has the highest ratio of total transactions to total organic transactions because they've had like a decent yeah. amount of activity post token launch. Yeah, they've been around for a while too. Um, Stablecoin metrics as well. So Arbitrum has about $2 billion worth wow. of stablecoins on wow. chain. Uh, OP has 610 
million, million and then yeah. base all right this is one to watch for stable coins you know right. that coinbase is going to send some love bases they're way. gonna put the usdc <laughs> on the base chain that's yep. where it's gonna go they're and then circle them. which coinbase owns 25 percent of is gonna go public and then base is going to be the visa competitor that's my prediction that feels like a, a good, a solid prediction. So this yeah. is at 300 million right now, but I expect that to like 10x, Blossom. you know, yeah. 50x, I don't know, something right. like that. It's going to uh, be pretty large. Then a total lock value locked. This is a pretty astounding statistic. Wow. So yeah, so if we look at the look total- at Arbitrum chart. 22 billion across all layer twos, all right? But so um, Arbitrum has about half that at uh, 10 billion. OP has seven, about yeah. 6 billion. And then base seven hundred and fifty million, uh, so pretty respectable zk sync era. I I really like having base metrics here because they feel so pure. Opt, uh, optimism and Arbitrum probably pure, pretty damn pure too. Arbitrum I think recently has some uh, liquidity incentives going on that are kind of juicing some numbers. But like the base, they're not going to juice liquidity. They're not launching a token. So like the base just feels like it gives us um, like a control to compare yeah. against. Yeah. Uh, I think a really useful like metric to have. I agree. And by the way, this is we're talking about the the big ones, but there's this massive long tail of layer twos that tail, yeah. aren't even listed on this website, right? That are kind of like trying to compete. Like we haven't even talked about Mantle. That's been a you know, like massive right. uh, grower lately. Mm-hmm. Then there's another metric which I think is useful, which is on chain profit. Okay, Ooh, so this is the, kind of the punchline that we're getting to, right? I think so. This is going to be part of like how we talk about L2 tokens and, and why they're valuable. But this says Arbitrum yesterday was about 60K in on-chain profit. And you could see, like, look at these massive spikes. So there was a day where uh, Base was making, let's see, uh, 380K per day. Uh, that was July 30th. So this must have been friend tech. That must have been like launch, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, launch around that like uh, series. So it's spiky. This is right. these 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 averages. It's not smooth. Yeah, yeah. These daily averages are not necessarily kind of like the annual averages, which would be. Uh, this is a seven at. seven day rolling average. It says. Okay, seven day rolling average. So one still thing, spiky, by the way. What seven days? We should explain what profit is. Okay, so right. what profit basically is? Why don't you explain it, David? Well, the Grow the Pie website has it actually pretty laid out strong, pretty strongly here because they have this economics section of the tabs that we're looking into. And page number one in this section is fees paid by users, a.k.a. Yes. layer two gas fees. The next yes. page is rent paid to the layer one, a.k.a. the gas fees paid by the layer two to the layer one. And then the third page is on-chain profit. And if you take the first fees paid to users to the layer two, subtract the second, which is fees paid by the layer two to the layer one, you get the third on-chain profit, the difference. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure if we just go through these pages, you'll be able to calculate the numbers. Yesterday, Arbitrum pocketed a difference of $61,500 between the difference of what the users uh, paid to Arbitrum versus what Arbitrum paid to the layer one. Let's go check how much Arbitrum uh, was collected re- revenue from users yesterday. So Arbitrum, if you click on that tab, Arbitrum collected $188,000 yesterday from users who paid for Arbitrum block space. And then yesterday, Arbitrum paid Ethereum, how much? Let's go to that tab. Arbitrum paid Ethereum $126,000. And so if you subtract those, that number from the, from, from the first, you get the profit, which is $61,000. And this is the profit in a pre-proto dank sharding, pre-full dank sharding state where uh, a lot, 95% of the costs 
for these layer twos are data availability. Uh, and that goes down with protodank sharding, which is coming in March. And then we'll like almost approach a very low number. I don't want to say zero, but a very low number with full dank sharding, which is coming 2025-ish. Maybe yeah. no one knows. And and they'll pass these savings on to the user, right? So users, I, what what I love about this is it's such a simple model. It's a it's so like simple. a value so added simple. reseller uh, type of right. model, right? So you have a uh, a supply of block space that Ethereum sells wholesale. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, who wants my block space? I'll sell it to you. And a bunch of layer twos are bidding on that block space. What do they do? They buy that block space from Ethereum and then they resell it. Who do they resell it to? users, dApps, they resell it. They add their bit of value on top of it, which is execution layer value. And then on that delta, they make a profit. So they have mm-hmm. revenue, they have expenses, and they have profit. It's a P&L business. This is something Larry Fink could understand. Okay, right. this is There's like three Wall lines. Street. It's like, it's not hard. And the, the interesting thing about this is they're all profitable. Now we'll talk right. about where that revenue by, goes. By default, they're profitable by default. Yeah, now of course we're not taking into account like, how much it costs to run the sequencers. We're sure. not taking into account how much it costs to like develop the software, do the marketing for these chains. All of that is additional cost that's outside of this type of a PL, right? But you can clearly see profits are being made. And mm-hmm. like if you turned off everything else, you would have a profitable business right yeah. here, as long as you kept the sequencer running. Yeah. All right. So one last thing to show you, and then we'll get to the question of are layer two tokens great or do they suck? Uh, and what, what do we think about this? This is a uh, total value locked across all chains. So th- this is mm-hmm. kind of one metric that's kind of sure. important because what I think you want to do is you want to start benchmarking layer twos and mm-hmm. you know, like how much value that they are uh, accruing right now and managing right now versus mm-hmm. maybe alternative layer ones or Ethereum itself. So right now, Ethereum is over 50%. Uh, let's see, it is about 55% in total value locked, right? Next the Ethereum is, layer one. Ethereum layer one. Next is Tron. All right. And this is because Hilarious. there's a I massive, will never not laugh at that. David, there's fifty uh, billion dollars worth of USDT primarily on Tron. There's there stables. Sixty-nine billion dollars, nice, in stables on Ethereum. And there's fifty billion dollars on Tron. And Tron right? doesn't even have DeFi. It just has right. payments. Exactly. Uh so that's an interesting sort of uh I guess like edge case, but is real utility for some people. Binance Smart Chain, let's see, Binance Smart Chain is next with about 6%. And then Arbitrum, 4%, uh, 4.6%. Solana, about 2.5%. Optimism, 1.5%. Polygon, 1.5%. Avalanche, 1.5% on down. Okay, so Arbitrum is about double the size of Solana, okay? Mm -hmm. And in the same ballpark as uh, Optimism right now. And Avalanche is, you know, roughly the size of Polygon from, t- you know, total assets under management. So all told, alternative layer ones, if you disclude Tron and Binance Smart Chain, it's primarily going to come from Solana and Avalanche right now. And it's about 4% of total uh, value locked in, in the market right now. So that's the kind of benchmark, the size that, that we're looking at. And certainly... The layer two ecosystem is probably what like this looks like about seven or eight percent of total value locked. So it's about double the size of alternative layer twos right now. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, the way I would perceive TVL on chain uh, on chains is um, a little bit like potential energy. Just having TVL on chain doesn't actually natively produce any economic activity. Like you can just hold 
you know, all your stables on Ar- Arbitrum and not do anything with it. And you actually won't make Arbitrum any money because you won't be spending any gas fees. But having TVL opens up doors for reasons to have economic activity. So it's not a perfect one-to-one. Uh, it's a correlation, not a causation. But just if you have a bunch of TVL, you have a bunch of opportunities for economic activity. Uh, and so that's there's like a loose coupling, I would yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a gamble metric. It's a metric you can't fully rely on. When the native token goes up, Like right. it's going to spike in terms of TVL, right? We've saw that with uh, Solana. Are we recently. counting native tokens in TVL here? I don't oh, yeah. think we are. Oh, heck oh, we yeah, are? we are. Yep. Oh, okay. It's um, it's all like total value locked on these chains. Oh, okay. So, okay. Like, okay. Soul Token goes up, you're going to get a massive increase in uh, uh total well, that, value. Well, that that makes sense. That makes yep. sense for the native asset of a layer one on a layer one. Um, yeah. Does but like if OP goes up, and there's OP on optimism, I guess TVL. I guess yeah, TVL on optimism goes up. Okay, sure. Yep. Uh, all right, so that's kind of the the baseline setting of you know state of the L2s from a metrics perspective. So the big question that we're trying to answer here is, um. Are L2 tokens going to go up in price, or are they just worthless governance tokens? This was the question posed in the in the Bankless Discord that I mentioned earlier. And I, I want to give you uh, some takes here, David, and see how mm-hmm. much you kind of uh, agree. And maybe we'll take this in pieces here. But just to set the stage, um, I do have a bias, I would say, okay? And like everyone, hopefully, if you're an investor in the space, you're not just being whipped around by the winds of like whatever the most popular narrative, narrative is. Narrative. Hopefully you have narrative a season bias, <laughs> aka a thesis, like you have right. some sort of conviction. Concept for the understanding the world. Yeah. And so my biases, let's call them, are um, one, long-term time horizons, right? So I'm not a narrative uh, trader. I'm yeah. talking when I'm in the context of this, two to seven year intervals okay this is different if you're doing narratives you're doing like three to 12 month time horizons so for the listeners this may not be your time horizon you want to do mm-hmm. narrative there's a different play what i'm right. saying probably is just like not relevant to you because i you know it's a different time horizon the second thing i would say is i weigh something called fundamentals highly in my investment and i, mm-hmm. I don't want to like sound um hmm. how, how do i put this i have a specific yeah, high and mighty. Yeah. Uh, I, I here's the fundamentals. I, <laughs> what do you? Uh, my just thesis trader. is fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, okay, because because there's holes with the idea of fundamentals, right? So right. I have a your specific... fundamentals are not everyone else's fundamentals. Exactly, and fundamentals are just like a consensus uh, technology right. at the end of the day, and right. So what I'm trying to do is get everyone else to agree to my fundamentals. And... My my fundamentals are better than your fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But mine are better, dude. No, <laughs> um, that's why that's why we talk about them. <laughs> my specific definition of fundamentals is for chains that sell blocks. Right, this would be an alternative layer one or a layer two, uh, long term profitability. That's the fundamental I look, which we just talked about mm-hmm. what that means. It's the revenue that the chain brings in by selling blocks, less its costs, which are the amount that it pays for, for uh, gas to the parent chain or the amount that it issues. Like, remember, alternative layer ones, they have to pay for their security. They don't pay Ethereum for their security. So what do they do? They issue block rewards. They issue new supply of their token to pay for that security. Okay. That to me is the most ungameable metric, profitability is the most ungameable metric for proof of value creation for mm-hmm. a chain. All right? right. Now, this may if not money be- flows from elsewhere into yeah. your vault and you can measure that, that is fundamentals. I mean, this is kind of how equities like are valued, right? It's like right. I you know, of course there's cash no flows value and perceived growth 
ratios. Discounted cash flows over time, right? That is at least some utility value consensus that the market kind of believes, right? So, but this may not be the way the market decides to value blockchains anytime in the near future, or even in the fullness of time. I don't know. Maybe there's some other fundamental that becomes more important, right? Maybe active addresses become kind of the, the metric or something else becomes more important. So I'm looking at this from a PL uh, perspective. So caveats aside, my take on um, L2s is that they are positioned incredibly well for their tokens to accrue value. All right. So are L2 tokens bullish? Are they going to go up in price? My take is when I look at this, yes. All right. And here's why. Three reasons for this. One, and this is probably the most important. David, they have a 100x more advantage in the block space profit game because they don't have to pay for their security through issuance right. of the base token all right it is a cheat code for they're just value-added value resellers right yeah. instead of like doing the hard work instead of bootstrapping their own military and you know court service right. and police force and all of these things right ryan, ryan means security that. and smart contracts and mm -hmm. ecosystem exactly uh they just take all of that and then they resell it and they can resell both layer one block space and data availability block space. So they could go take Celestia and resell it. Right. They could go take which, Ethereum which and resell it. just started doing. Yeah, they could go take EigenDA and resell it. And that's what they're doing. And so they're always going to be more profitable than somebody who is issuing their native token. Like just look at the P&Ls. Just look at right. cost. Going. So they have an advantage there that I think is hard to compete with. Now, this is a caveat. And this is where the kind of the second comes in, right? It, it is dependent on their ability to attract users and capital mm -hmm. to their execution environments. So mm -hmm. if they get outplayed by an alternative layer one or some layer one that is better able to capture users and capital, okay? Mind share adoption, uh, trust, brand. It won't yeah. matter. An, L, right. an L2 zombie chain is just still a zombie chain and it's not producing right. revenue or profits. And if an L alternative layer one is able to kind of capture that value, then they won't. Now, I, I would just say, what have we just seen? I mean, we looked at the numbers. Uh, we've seen traction for Arbitrum, for OP, for Polygon, for Base, for ZK Sync. And they have uh, shown that mm -hmm. their rates of, of accruing uh, users and, and traction are even exceeding their L1 competitors. So right. I, I don't think you can say alternative layer ones are just going to attract users and capital at a far faster rate. I think that's right. already been disproven at this point in the market. Like, nah, L2's You're, you're saying it's game. being disproven as in it's the only strategy that can do that. It is, exactly. It's still, it's still happening. It's still in the mix for sure. Right. And there's and so still for people who race. are valuing uh, layer ones who are negative in economics, as in they're issuing more uh, tokens than they are accruing in fees, the market is assigning a growth premium, a, a PE ratio for layer ones who are... It, like uh, operating at a loss in, in order to incentivize growth, which is a tried and true strategy that we've seen for decades. And so, yeah, this and people generally, I would say, ascribe high PE ratios to layer ones. Exactly. And so I'm just making the case that um, L2s are not positioned to be uh, valueless governance tokens. Not necessarily right. that they will exceed uh, alternative layer ones, but you, you can see that they're doing a lot in terms right. of traction. The last piece on this kind of worthless governance stakes is I am not bearish on governance tokens, okay? So if you think about equities, David, what are equities? Governance, uh, governance tokens with cash governance flows. Governance certificates with pieces of paper. Exactly. But they have some sort of legal guarantee to cash flows. Right. So mm -hmm. long as the governance token has a code-based 
guarantee eventually to cash flows to me that is a value accruing uh, device. Okay. We'll contrast this with something like um, the Uni token right now, does not have a fee switch. There are transaction fees and value accrual mechanisms that can happen outside of the protocol. Mm -hmm. It is closer to like a, a worthless governance token, although I do think the fee switch will be turned on. Uh, I think for, for layer twos, it's going to be much closer to layer ones in that you have a sequencer which accrues all of the profit, you know, basically. And that profit is just going to be passed on in the form of staking, let's say, mm -hmm. or in the form of like a work utility token. Right? This is what mm -hmm. Matic is, is moving towards for, for Pole, and I think we see other chains kind of moving to this type of model to uh, essentially enable the token holder to participate in that on-chain cash flow. So it's a governance token with cash flows. I think that's what we're seeing emerging here, and that's why I would say it's different. So what's your, what's your, what, or that's, that's why I would say L2 tokens are actually bullish as long as they continue to have this, these positive revenues new user base, um, you know, usage, uh, and that number goes up, then I mm -hmm. see the token accruing value. What's your take on that? Yeah, you, you said L2 tokens are governance tokens with cash flows. I would just amend that just a slight, uh, in a slight way just to L2 tokens are governance tokens over cash flows. That's the thing that they govern over. That's right. And so like the base case is what I would say Arbitrum currently is which is you can go look at the smart contracts of Arbitrum and you can see Ether flowing into the Arbitrum sequencer vault, which is governed by the Arbitrum DAO. And so if you are an ARB token holder, you have some amount of say over where that money goes. And I think it's really the next phase of the value capture conversation is like, well, it's up to governance to apply that capital in value added ways in the most uh, in, the, in the highest ROI possible. And so sitting in the treasury is one thing, but you know, let's take Amazon for example. What did Amazon do with its money? It just sent it right back into the company. It incentivized growth, which was a good strategy. Uh, is that Arbitrum strategy? Uh, I don't know. Arbitrum governance will have to determine what is the best way to incentivize growth using the capital that it's receiving. But the thing is, is like Arbitrum is cash flow positive. And so now it's kind of up to Arbitrum treasury management and just like DAO governance, which is, you know, what crypto is, to apply that capital uh, in a way that grows, is accretive to Arbitrum even more. And yep. we're so early into crypto. What is it? 20, it's 2024. Arbitrum is how many years old? Uh, five? Actually, wow, five years. Um, in the grand scheme of things, we're at the very beginning of these things. Uh, and so we still have, um, I don't know, 98% of the world left to capture, 99% of the world left to capture and get on chain. Uh, and so these treasuries, these positive treasuries that are uh, being accrued by layer twos need to go to capture the remaining 99% of yeah, people that are not on chain yet. I mean, w when it's in treasury, uh, you can uh, distribute it by, by almost mm -hmm. like a dividend to those who are staking, right. those token holders. So th this is kind of, I think the, the, con the convergence of this is, we will have a kind of a network type equity or an internet type equity that returns funds to the holders of these tokens in the same way that like equities in uh, you know traditional capital markets are a right for governance over cash flows. 
Uh, and so like that's similar to me. And the last thing is listeners might say, well, but like none of that matters right now. Like PLs don't matter. No one's actually looking at it like this. Here's a reason I think people might start to list like look at it like this. Block space mm-hmm. fees, David, they're going to commoditize and collapse to zero. That that is my like, belief. Layer two fees are going to zero. Yes, for all chains except for master chains. settlement chains like Ethereum. Yeah. Okay, because Ethereum yeah. is doing a different service. It is providing yeah. settlement. It's taking its block space and it's selling it to a whole bunch of chains. But the chains themselves, right? The rollups, the layer twos themselves, their fees will collapse to zero. You just see it right now. Look at the DA layers. We, yeah. We're just talking about uh, Lyra. We're just right? at the very beginning of the DA wars. It's getting, it was like what, 99% cheaper or 90% cheaper? Yeah. And then Eigenlayer DA comes in. That's going to make it another like, you know, 90% cheaper uh, again. We've got paralyzed VMs, which are going to increase our transaction throughput. We've got massive advances in compression. Vitalik has talked about this. We've got ZK tech. The bottom line is, I think block space, execution layer block space is going to turn into a complete commodity product. And so if you're an L1, and you're trying to generate profitable block space in this environment, or you're trying to differentiate yourself on low fees, I don't think that's going to be a differentiator for you anymore, right? And it's like, it is true that block ordering, MEV, can be a source of revenue. And I think that that could be a source of revenue in the future for alternative layer ones. But it is also a source of revenue for layer twos. And if you have too much MEV extraction and block ordering, users are going to leave your chain. They don't want the slippage costs. They don't want the sandwich attacks. They're going to go to somewhere where they don't have those types of hidden, let's call them transaction fees. So that is like the last point I would say on how this I see this game evolving from a you know blockchain commodity perspective. I think everything we've talked about, Ryan, um, is the bottom of the pyramid, if you will, the fundamental uh, foundation that all value future value capture of layer two stands upon. Uh, the lo- the reason why these layer twos work at all over the longest amount of terms is what we've talked about so far in this episode. I call that the bottom of the pyramid because then there's n- another uh, layer of uh, why will tokens go up, which is a more of a medium short term narrative, like the narrative. The narrative trade. Yeah. The narrative, right? So the reasons why people are going to buy these tokens now in the this cycle, uh, short in 2024. The, this cycle, the short-term amnesia that crypto has when it's a bull market. And so I think there's plenty of reasons, uh, which are valid reasons, by the way. Like brand is one of these reasons. And so I want to talk about that middle section, the narrative trade. I'm not, I'm not a trader. You're not a trader. I don't look at charts. So that's not what we're going to talk about. But I want to talk about like kind of the next shorter term phase of like what happens when you have fundamentals. So we're going to talk about that as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make their show possible, like Mantle, which is a layer two, which is what we've been talking about all today. But it's also a layer two with a liquid stake token, METH. So you can stake your ETH with Mantle. You can also use the Mantle layer two. Let's go hear from Mantle right now. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum layer two built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum layer one. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO 
own treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo forum, so has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one-block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. Ryan, we talked about in the first half of the episode for a little bit, uh, PE ratios, growth mm. metrics, go growth multipliers that I think the market uh, perceives upon many chains. Uh, layer yeah, ones, P layer is interesting, right? You call that mm -hmm. a growth metric. That is basically right. the amount that investor is paying for like future growth. That's kind of like a metric because right. it's price that you're paying over earnings, which is profit in the future. And that can be applied to layer twos. Right. So it is a perceived metric as to like, what is the premium that the market is paying for a particular asset? And if it's a high premium, it's implied that there's a lot of growth baked into these right. things. And so for layer ones that are negative economics, as in they are issuing more than they're capturing in fees, technically they have like infinite PE ratios. Um, as soon as it turns positive, then PE actually turns into a number. But the idea is like, there's a premium here and different, I think different, all different assets that have cash flows will all have this PE ratio. Um, what factors impact a layer two tokens or layer one token PE ratio? I think one of the big ones is brand. Um, and I think uh, the very high PE ratio that Solana has currently comes from the brand of Solana, which is growing in strength, growing in mindshare. Uh, the uh, universal composability uh, idea is in being incepted into people's heads. And so people are paying a very high premium for Solana because they think that Solana has a lot of growth potential. So it has a very uh, high PE ratio. Um, Optimism, for example, I think has the brand of A, the OP stack, which has been forked, you know, like a hundred times now. And we, we'll, we'll talk about actually um, the OP collective fee that uh, the OP collective charges OP stack chains that are a part of the super chain. But really, I would say the forking of the OP stack and the adoption of the OP stack by companies as large as Coinbase, which is a huge vote of confidence, is a huge plus one to the brand of optimism, to the trust of optimism. And humans place a lot of value on trust. Uh, and so there's this what there's a narrative that like, oh, well, if Coinbase has selected the OP stack to spawn the base chain, a Fortune 500 company that's public then they are uh, leading the way for other large companies to also use the OP stack. And that is a narrative that could, over time, morph into fundamentals if it comes true. 
But these are, these are kind of the mindshare metrics, brand and awareness conversations that I think people will be paying attention to as the bull market continues and the price of attention, the value of attention is like at a 100x premium in a bull market. I think these are kind of some of the things to pay attention to in the short term uh, speculative nature of the bull market. What say you about this? Yeah, I think there's tons of narratives to kind of latch onto if you want to do sort of that that shorter time horizon uh, type of trade, right? Including like what like what happens if um, BlackRock launches like right. a side chain that you know like An for tokenizing OP stack the world based tied side chain, sure. right? Starts as a side chain and then on the path to they would a, never join uh, the collective though, right? Uh, you know, maybe they would. You like who knows what could happen? I've I've right. been constantly surprised, but I mean sure. that that type of thing can happen. I also think. Layer twos are in general kind of having a, a, a renaissance from a narrative perspective because people have watched a, an alternative layer one run up and they're like, well, layer twos are looking pretty good now from a valuation right. perspective. I mean, just look at this, David. Um, this is, let's go to CoinGecko actually. And let's see what the valuations are. I'm going to turn, this is fully diluted valuation, right? So can you go to Arbitrum? Um, so Arbitrum is here, 21 billion. Right. And Arbitrum recently uh, reached all-time highs. Um, this is not my analysis, but it makes sense to me. Is like traders have started to purchase Arbitrum on the hype of proto dank sharding EIP four eight four four that is coming in March. I think that's a plausible narrative for sure. And I think this is totally plausible narrative. And anytime I find myself like aligned with traders, I'm like, huh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. th this is one of the things that happens. Like uh, they are. Traders have decided that there is a shelling point around the growth of a narrative about sure. the growth of a of a fundamentals. And so sometimes like the pyramid of the traders on top, the narrative layer in the middle and the foundation fundamentals at the bottom, like a line in stars. And I always think that's like a funny time in crypto when like everyone's like lined up. Well, on the that's same nice. Pieces. Yeah, it's nice when your fundamentals. It's very fleeting. It doesn't stay for very long. That's already yeah, yeah. in the rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah, it lasts a few weeks and then you get sad again. <laughs> At least that's my experience. But um, OK, so Arbitrum is the number one highest value layer two right now at 21 billion. Uh, next and to that would be, value, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, next to that would be optimism, 15 billion. They have a ton of tokens that are locked up, right? And so right. that's why market cap is so different than fully diluted valuation because right. fully diluted is like the full market cap that um, like all tokens that exist. Exists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and like those are the top two. And notice that they are, um, well, where's Matic on this list? They they should definitely make a presence. Here it is. Matic is Matic 8, hasn't 8, pumped 4 yet. Billion. Yeah. Eight point four billion. Matic's, Matic's been lagging behind. So that's le this less than half um, Arbitrum. And also, uh, look at Solana, fifty five billion. So <laughs> it takes two Arbitrums to make premium a Solana, right? Which is interesting, just how the the market is yeah. is valuing all of this at this point in time. And so to I guess zoom out to say I do think that there are some narratives that might. Uh, shift this a little bit and there mm -hmm. could be an L2 season renaissance and right. I'm not sure exactly what those like narratives might lead to that that's someone else's specialty but um, right. proto bank sharding could like base using a layer 2 more traction in general for these layer 2s or, or just price pumps can just cause narratives to be told for right. why the price is pumping right and the prices right. don't need a reason to pump sometimes they just do it's just time for that mm -hmm. you know, specific asset or token um one thing, though, I want to say, David, is, and I, I want to actually now give uh, the case to you for why I think alternative layer ones could be more bullish than it first appears under this thesis, right? So, okay, okay. so 
this is still within the bounds of the framework, and I want to give you a bull case for alternative layer ones. Um, okay. So so far we've said, from a fundamentals perspective, profitability of block space is the thing that yeah. matters, right? In our armchairs. Okay. So um, layer ones, alternative layer ones like Solana and Avalanche. Remember, they always have the ability to become layer twos if they want. Okay. So okay. look, I don't know all of the like technical engineering behind this, but we we know we've already seen um with Celo Network, which was an alternative right. layer one, now starting to use Ethereum for settlement. Right. It's um, not a large technical lift to be switched from being a layer one to a layer layer two. All you do is post data elsewhere. Yes. And so here's what that means. It means every alternative layer one already has an option. The fact that Ethereum exists, they have an option to become a layer two at any point in time if they choose to exercise that option. Right. And they will choose to exercise that option game theoretically if it will increase the value of their token and their right. ecosystem. But they can when they are done being Amazon and want to start being Apple, you mean? Like once they are done growing I mean. and they are trying to then in turn into profit? Yes. So, you know, Amazon, the story of famously Be Bezos was like, hey, I'm not going to return any profit. We're going to lose money every year. Right. We're going to make fantastic revenue, but we're going to lose money. And all the shareholders who said, but profitability, Bezos, it's not even profitable. What are you what doing? You're stock? driving this, this, this chain into the ground. Or this, yeah, yeah, they left. They left. <laughs> right. All of those kind of whiners left. And what he had and the Bezos was, was probably like, sick, get out of here. Yeah, because what he had was a whole bunch of people who were along the ride for unprofitable block space, okay? And so like, <laughs> here, here's a way Solana could win, for instance, right? If something like Solana, if their their model is just grow and grow and grow, Capture, mindshare, capture users. Just yeah. like, we're just going to acquire users. I don't care about profitability. We're going to penetrate P&Ls. the market. Yeah. Just acquire users, acquire apps, get network effects, dilute soul right. holders along the way. Soul holders won't care because numbers going up in the, in the interim. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's a bull market. Everything's going up. Right. And then when it becomes an issue, like when the market right. starts to say, huh, you really need to solve that issuance problem because soul holders right. are getting diluted who aren't staking. Well, then Solana they just- has succeeded so well that they've captured two thirds of the internet yeah. and there's no longer very, that many more people to capture. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we've, we've won. We've captured the, the users. Let's become profitable. And we're saying Solana because that's had the, like a big run uh, over the last six yeah. months, but it could be Mo uh, Monad. It could be yeah. Sui. It could like, it could be any of these uh, avalanche, yeah. who knows? It could be any alternative layer one. Well then all they have to do is, oh, it's about the game is now profitable blocks, but okay. Hey, yo, we're layer two now. We're just going to sell on Ethereum. <laughs> and they no longer have to issue their token. It's so genius. from that perspective... It's, that's what's always so genius about the Ethereum like fundamental model. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, fees, bro. High fees. <laughs> yeah, high fees. well, like, I do think that... So, okay, this is, uh, you know, like the Ethereum fundamental kits. It, it seems likely that Ethereum will win in any case. Now, uh, you know, like Solana and Alternative Layer 1 may decide to play the settlement chain game too. They could start to launch... Sure. They could try to compete right. as a money, okay? The last chain to compete with ETH as a money, do you know what that chain was, David? Uh, Terra Luna. Oh. That, that was the last chain to right. actually try to yeah. compete with ETH and Bitcoin as money. Sure. Okay? So a chain could and do that. And look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> a chain could do that, be a settlement layer, compete with ETH as uh -huh. money, or it always has the option to like pivot into profitable block space 
by uh, starting to use Ethereum as a settlement chain. So that's in, actually- my, in my opinion, if your chain wants to be money, you must also be a settlement layer for other chains. I think and- that's going to be true. Yeah. I yeah. also think that's going to be true. That that feels like a like a, a core kind of first like thesis. principles ground up. Doesn't don't even have to say the words Ethereum. If your chain is money, other chains settle to your chain. But do you see how like under this lens, you can actually start to be like, okay, the value of Solana or Avalanche at fifty five billion for Solana. All right, that that's definitely assuming that it outcompetes a whole bunch of the layer twos and becomes like a dominant player and execution layer. But like the block space PL thing, it doesn't matter because Solana still preserves the op- option to always switch and, and start settling on Ethereum. So it may as well recycle all of the pro- so-called profits and goodwill and brand narrative and all of these things back into growing the chain. And if it can marshal mm-hmm. that capital to acquire users, apps, and network effects, then it has a path to winning and maybe outcompeting all of these layer twos that kind of quote unquote did it the right way right 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 yeah what do you think about I, that, that I, I think that is a crazy scientist theory that i'm totally on board with i yeah anyway i i think i think probably i've missed that sort of component of this for a while mm-hmm. and i think a lot of um you know fundamentals analysts like or eth maximalists i maybe missed that that vantage point but like sure it very much could be the case so yeah. um I, yeah. i'm on board that's what i got man anything else so so what where do we summarize all of this right so we've got um we've got l2 tokens out there uh and the question was posed where are they worthless governance coins um i don't think they are um Mm -hmm. it seems like yeah how would you summarize all of this yeah um maybe before i summarize all this i'll say a little bit more about the layer two uh, upside uh, case I, i think we've presented the vanilla layer two upside case, the the case that is true for all layer two tokens. But I think in addition to that, every single layer two token will also adapt a more specific strategy. Uh, The Optimism Collective strategy is to spawn the super chain, create a shared standard for what it means to be a part of the super chain, create some sort of ecosystem benefits, a union for why you join the super chain, and then being a part of the super chain requires a 15% of your sequencer fees to the Optimism Collective. That's right. the Optimism upside case. Um, the Polygon upside case is different. They have the, the work token medallion model about the, um, this, the interoperability chain that they have, in addition to other mechanisms as well, which is completely different from the Optimism upside case. Uh, Arbitrum Orbits, I think, still has some fleshing out to do with its upside case, but it has a similar 10% fee to join the collective uh, type of model. Um, Starknet has gas fees spa- uh, paid in the Stark token, yeah. and that a zk EVM or uh, not a zk EVM. Uh, it's Cairo based, but it's a zk uh, chain, um, uh, a Stark Stark chain. And so what is what is the upside model for that? It is a different flavor. And so, in totally addition different. to just like the value added reseller case, which is true for all chains, there's also more specific chain specific strategies, businesses for what they are actually doing and why they're capturing value. 100%. So each one will kind of develop its own way this of navigating the, the the world, right? And it's its own business model. Uh, Mantle, yeah. for example, has M-ETH. Because uh, the Mantle treasury is just absolutely massive, and so they made their own liquid staking token. They're probably also going to do a liquid restaking token, calling it. Uh, why wouldn't you? That's a, that's a mantle strategy. And so in addition to just the fundamental case that we laid out in this episode, each layer two has the opportunity to kind of make their own additional way of capturing value. 
yeah, I think that's what's so exciting uh, about the space right now is all of this is emerging. And maybe the place I'll leave us with is kind of the opening for another set of questions that are questions in my mind for 2024. And I know they're in your mind as well, which is, okay, now we have kind of this new block space thing that we've created. In fact, I would say that's like that's the core innovation that um, crypto has created. It's a tr trustless, censorship resistance block space. What can you do with block space? Banking system, you could do sound money, you could do store of value, you could do property rights online, all of these things, right? You can do all of these things with this commodity that we've created called block space. Now, we have separated out the block space uh, supply chain in kind of three different levels of like value accruing tokens, if you will. There's the consensus settlement layer, right? Which like Ethereum is, is trying to dominate very much. And the case for like Ether or some asset as a money or as an internet bond, right? There's that layer. And then there's the data availability layer, which Ethereum is also a player. It's trying to sell its block space as a DA provider. But then you also have Celestia in there and you have Eigenlayer DA, which takes its cut. Mm -hmm. And then there's a veil from, from uh, formerly Polygon founders, like taking its cut. Near is competing for the DA layer. And right. then you have the execution layer which is where the majority of these layer twos are really competing. That's where users come. That's where states are. That's where you can create right. like super chains. That's where it's an app acquisition game. Solana is playing full stack, but also very yeah. much on the With execution layer on side. The execution layer, yeah. Mm -hmm. 100% execution. And so the question there is, is now in my mind, and I think a major topic for 2024 is, okay, where's the value going to accrue? And the answer is all three, okay? All three are going to accrue some value. But are we going to get more fat protocol? Are we going to get mm -hmm. more value accrual at the at the bottom of this pyramid, or is it going to be an upside down pyramid? That's what some people think, where like value accrual is actually tiny at the settlement mm -hmm. layer, and it's like bigger at the DA layer, and even bigger right. at the execution layer. And that, in my mind, is the major fundamental question for this asset class as we move into has always been. The, the big yeah, question. Probably has. <laughs> one of the, one of the questions that we started Bankless to try and answer, and yeah. it is four years later, and still asking. The question is better defined, but the answer is still just as opaque. Yeah. Well, now the question has three parts to it, right? We have three different components. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Bankless Nation, we're going to be exploring this uh, this year, and um, thanks for hanging with us on the Bankless Takes. We should mention a, a couple hot episodes uh, that yeah. are coming down the pipeline on this. Uh, John Charbonneau and Neil Somani from Eclipse doing an episode titled uh, "Is DA a Good Business Model?" So we're attacking one of those points on the oh, triangle thanks, um, head on. Followed by an episode uh, co-hosted by John Charbonneau, replacing you, Ryan, by um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Sri Ram from uh, from Eigenlayer and uh, Nick White from Celestia, comparing the differences between Eigen DA and Celestia as a DA construction layer. So we're doing some exploring. Ooh, let's go figure it out. It's uh, as always, Bankless. We're, we're trying to bring you guys to the frontier. Uh, should disclose before we end this episode, we're investors in a whole bunch of the L2s and other tokens that yeah, we mentioned today. We also hold uh, some ETH. As you'll know, you can access all of our disclosures, bankless.com slash disclosures. And got to end with this. We have no idea what prices will do in the short run. Crypto is just generally risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier, not for everybody, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.